Old Testament of our Bible is sometimes daunting. Scan the pages of the good book and you will hear of genocide, violence, polygamy, and other hard-to-handle issues. Some might think the God of the Old Testament was different than our caring and compassionate Jesus. They are wrong. Our God is the God of the Old and the New Testament, whether we always understand it or not. So why read the Old Testament? It tells us where we've been. It tells us where we're going. We see the beauty of God's love, and it swells with prophecies about Jesus. We love the Old Testament because Jesus loved it. Join us as we continue our ongoing series, Origins, studying the Bible Jesus read. Good morning, friends. Good to be with you today. I'm Dale. I'm the lead pastor for City Life Church. I'm still on a little bit of a high from baptizing uh, some of you guys yesterday. There's four, four people got baptized. Um, so the first like four years of our church, we baptized seven people total. And in the last four months, we've baptized nine. I think that's kind of cool, right? Is that worth celebrating? I, 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 <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and I always tell people, I want to take the credit. And like when you look at each story, I don't get to. Like God just does miracles. And the uh, miracles happen when he moves, right? So um, <clears throat> I want to start out our, my message today um, by letting you know my email address. Um, my email address is dale, D-A-L-E, at citylifesandiego.org. That's Dale, D-A-L-E, at citylifesandiego.org. <clears throat> Today's message is going to be one of my most challenging ones to give to you. Um, and it's pretty challenging for me because it's going to make everyone angry at me. That's kind of how I feel about it. You know, when you're working through a sermon, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Lord, I don't want to go there. And like, I'll like put a question mark in my sermon notes throughout the week, like, probably shouldn't go here, probably shouldn't go here, probably shouldn't go here. And then, <clears throat> and then I'll come back to it later in the week, you know, and I'll be like, yeah, I had an agenda, so I'm going to delete that. Yeah, I, I, this was like, this was like uh, some childhood trauma I had or something. I'm going to delete that. And then, and then I, I have what's left of a sermon that should be based on the scriptures. <clears throat> this week, uh, I'm looking at these controversial topics, and I'm like, wow, that really fits. I, I really feel like I need to say that. Wow, that would make some people angry at me. I think I need to say that. So um, today, I just want to say, my email address, dale at citylifesandiego.org, you can hit me up. Don't hit me up like right when we're starting to like pray for people on the side. Oh, Dale, that was unbiblical. Pastor, what are you doing? You're apostate or whatever you call it. <clears throat> just send me an email. We could talk about it later. And I'll tell you why I, I got to the place I got to. Because I can't in 40 minutes possibly tell you why I got to where I got in a succinct manner about everything. So um, looking forward to making y'all angry, but first let me make sure I make people who speak Spanish angry. Buenos días, si necesita escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. Just so they can tr get the translation of the things I say that make you angry. All right, today we're going to actually be in Exodus, Exodus 1. So the first book of the Bible is Genesis, second book in the Bible is Exodus. And if you can think of that without thinking of Bob Marley, like you're a better person than me. So we have um, Bibles available on the side if you need a Bible. Um, we have uh, like uh, nasty paperback ones, pretty nice hardback ones, and then really nice leather ones 
that if you don't have a Bible, there's a great study Bible that you can get now. And uh, so we'll just say that. Now, um, let me just tell you where we're at. So if you were here with us last week, uh, or, or you know a little bit about the Bible, or you don't, let me just tell you where we've been. There's this guy named Joseph. Joseph uh, basically was wrongly accused over and over again, ends up in prison, and uh, through a series of events all orchestrated by God, Joseph ends up being the second in command in Egypt. Second in command in Egypt. This dude went from being in a, in a dirty, nasty cell in a dungeon, and I know some of us understand what it means to be in prison here, and then find yourself like basically like vice president. So you went straight from prison to vice president. That's what Joseph did. And Joseph, Joseph had this happen because God wanted him there. So even though people tried to hurt Joseph, he ended up in this great um, position. Um, and so what happens is the Pharaoh says, Joseph, you are amazing. I want all your people to come out here. And so 70 people in Joseph's family came and settled in a place called Goshen. Now, think about Goshen is it's like basically on the edge of Egypt in a place where it's strategic to have some people there. Instead of empty fields, let's put some people there so we can't get attacked from that side. So it was a good move on the Pharaoh's part, but it was also good for our Jewish friends at the time because everywhere else there was starvation. So um, the Hebrews or the Israelites or the Jews, however you'd like to call them, settled into Goshen, settled into Egypt. Then 400 years pass after Joseph has saved all of Egypt, after he saved much of the world by helping them to realize that God wants them to save food for other people. So first, Joseph is a big old shot. I don't, that's not a phrase that anyone ever has used in the history of the world. But first, <laughs> Joseph is a big shot, and then he's forgotten because 400 years passed. Now, many of you are like, how could you forget the person that saved the whole country? Well, just to give you perspective, the United States is 250 years old, not yet. So uh, we got another like few years where we can forget things that happen. Another 150 years. Um, imagine living in Iraq as an American, um, and your whole family lives there for 400 years, where you try to keep your identity as an American. Do you think that might have some effect on how you view Americans as a people after 400 years um, have gone before you there in Iraq? Yeah. And I wonder if any of them had forgotten in Egypt the God of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It's very common, very easy to happen, right? At some point, you find yourself just listening to everybody else around you. And uh, having studied Egyptian um, theology, and uh, uh, Egypt's super fascinating. And I've studied it, and I loved it. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Egyptologist. That's a rad culture. Um, and so you're there, you're in the midst of it, and you're like, well, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. Like, Dude, Horus, the son of Osiris and Isis, and they like cut out his eye from his brother Seth, who you use his eye now as like a symbol of protection. And like, man, that sounds cool. I like that. Maybe I should. They started to forget. Everybody started to forget what Joseph did. Now, I just want to ask you, um, how many of you guys are like really familiar with the work of the most famous actors from less than 100 years ago, the 1920s? I looked them up. What's considered to be the most famous actor from the 1920s is Douglas Fairbanks. I, some, I heard one, uh-huh. Um, uh, and then here's the other in the top five. John Barrymore, Gloria Swanson, B.B. Daniels, Olive Thomas. So if you're in your 80s, you might know who these people are. Um, but I don't know who they are. And matter of fact, like I was just talking to this to our, our interns who are under 20 years old or around 20 years old, and I was just, I mentioned Cato Kalin around them. For you adults, they had no idea who Cato Kalin is. How do you not know who Cato Kalin is? But they did not. Um, 
So it just tells you, like, how quickly do we forget who people are? So we want to say, like, oh, they forgot Joseph already? Like, he saved them. But four hundo is a long time, right? So um, we don't know who the king is at the time. We, we got this guy named Tutmos III, uh, Amenhotep II, which is not the guy from the mummy. Um, but that's, that's all we really know. We don't really know who this, this king is, this pharaoh. And that's where we take off, okay? So we're going to be in Exodus 1, 6 through 20, and then I'm going to move us to Exodus 2. A lot of reading again, because we're trying to get you to have a, a big functional idea of what the Old Testament is. In September, we're going to go to James, and I'll be reading like a tiny bit, okay? And so you'll be okay. Um, but we're going to get into a lot of the word today, okay? Ready? And some of y'all are going to hate me. Okay, Exodus 1, 6 through 20. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous, so the land was filled with them. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithiom and Ramesses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shifra and the second whose name was Pua, he said, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? What are you thinking? I'm I'm thinking of the Pharaoh, your midwives. That's a little addition from me. The midwife said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Moving on, Exodus 2, 1 through 9. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus papyrus basket for him, coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it along the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile. While her servant girls walked along the riverbank, she saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, saw him, the child, and there he was, a little boy, crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew boys, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go call a Hebrew woman who is nursing uh, to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child, nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the ultimate advocate for the poor for the hurting, and for the voiceless. But I also just want to thank you this morning that you look with the same love and kindness upon jerks, the oppressive, and those you call to repentance. 
We know you've done, that we've done nothing to earn your kindness, but we will take it. Remind us again of your great care and concern for us. God, would you teach us from your word this morning? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. All right, friends. So today I'm going to give you three things that happen when great power goes against the weak with God on their side, though, with God on their side. And my first point is this. Blessing brings jealousy. Blessing brings jealousy. In verse 12, it says, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Now, the original language here for um, multiplied and spread, it's more like this. It's more like teamed. You guys know the word teamed with in, um, an increase in number. They teamed. Uh, when I think of teamed, uh, I think of like bugs teeming, like a big old cloud coming at you of bugs teeming. Now, what's interesting, very interesting, is the same word is used just a little bit later when we talk about the plagues of Egypt, that the frogs team. The frogs team. And it's not T-E-A-M, it's T-E-E-M. They team, which is just nasty to me. Like when you like go to a log and you like lift the log up and it's teeming with bugs, it's like a buzz, that's teeming. It's like nasty. It almost feels like an insult. Um, Teamed in the Bible is used to describe an uncomfortable amount of insects and that is also used (laughs) here about the Israelites. Now, um, I just want to start off by having half of you mad at me right away. Um, that uh, there is a, uh, a guy on TV, and his name's Tucker Carlson. And right now, the way he speaks about um, Mexicans in our country and refugees is teeming. Um, one of the things that he said is, he says, we're being invaded at the southern border. This is how countries collapse. He talks about the brownifying of America as if it's a bad thing. And so I say, when he sees success and when he sees growth from people who don't exactly look like him, he gets angry. Now, this is, don't worry, I'll have everybody mad at me on every side, so don't worry about it. So if, if that didn't make you angry, just wait. I got stuff to make you angry on the other side. Verse 13, they worked the Israelites ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. Now, Pharaoh could have kicked them out, right? Pharaoh could have just said, go. But instead, Pharaoh was so selfish that he wanted to use them. Pharaoh is not wise, (laughs) and he is so hypocritical here. You'll see the same hypocrisy, though, in our country. Uh, um, When you go to Home Depot on Imperial, and you see people there who are trying to work for an honest wage that are not considered to be legal immigrants of this country, we look the other way because we need them. Um, We're unwilling to make them citizens, and we're unwilling to deport them at the same time, and there's some hypocrisy there. So now maybe all y'all hate me. But I, well, here's what I'm saying, is we want to use people just like Pharaoh did at times. Man, it's, it's like I don't even want to say this to you guys. But here's what it is. The more Israel was blessed, the more Pharaoh was jealous. The more Pharaoh was jealous, the more Israel was oppressed. The more Israel was oppressed, the more they were blessed. I'm going to say that to you one more time. The more Israel was blessed, the more Pharaoh was jealous of them. The more Pharaoh was jealous, the more Israel was oppressed. The more Israel was oppressed, the more they were blessed. Now, I got to ask you, do you guys remember Abraham? We we studied him what feels like seven years ago, but since we've been at church for a little over four, um, we've talked about him somewhat recently. 
God made several promises to Abraham. Not only are the Jews called sons of Israel, but called sons of Abraham. God promises them a return to a land of plenty, and he makes another promise to them. He says that he will take them to a land flowing with milk and honey, but that's not Egypt. And he says he will bless them to be numerous. So God has already promised them to be numerous. In Genesis twenty-two seventeen, it says, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. So God has made this promise to the people of Israel. And here Pharaoh is saying, I don't really care. I don't know this God. I don't know this Joseph. And he's trying to be in control of something that he cannot control. The more we try to control God, the more we see that we cannot. Now, even the oppression of Israel trying to control, uh, of, of Pharaoh trying to control Israel gave the opposite effect. Now, Irish Bible scholar J.A. Macher, he says this, the measure of oppression becomes the measure of multiplication. The measure of oppression becomes the measure of multiplication. Here's the thing. Sometimes we find ourselves jealous. It's very common. We, we, we should all be clear and open. I feel like our church is good at one thing. It's being honest. Like we, we can be jealous, right? As human beings, we're jealous people. I'm going to tell you about a time I am jealous. Now, first, first when we planted uh, City Life Church in Wichita, Kansas, um, we were growing like gangbusters, okay? So we were growing like fast. And people would always come to me like, Pastor, why, why, why are you guys growing so fast? And I'd just be like, we just preach the Bible. I don't know. Like I didn't have an answer. Um, but then... We came here and planted this church, and I told you recently that, that we baptized more people in the last four months than the last four years. Now, I can tell you in the first, like, two and a half years, about two and a half years in, our church was getting smaller, was, was shrinking. And I'm not talking about summer. Like, summer, you're just down. People on vacation, it happens. But we were, we were shrinking, and I felt like we were being faithful. And let me just tell you, I just want to confess this to you. I would look at pictures of other pastors baptizing people. I would look at pictures of other pastors who are sharing the gospel with people and seeing them come to repentance and seeing a change in their life. And, and the, 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 th- the first thing that would come to mind is, I don't like them. I don't like them. They're probably doing it wrong. See, see, we're doing it the right way. They're doing it the fake way. And, and it's not that they were doing it the wrong way. It's that there was sin in my heart. Because I was seeing somebody else succeed, and I felt like I wasn't, even if faithfulness was success for our church, and I truly believe that, but I was looking at them and I was just like, man. And I sat on a panel just this week, sitting next to two guys where I just confessed to them, hey, I just want you to know when I saw your successes, I was kind of mad at you. And I, I want to I ask for forgiveness. Because here's the thing, blessing brings jealousy. And I saw blessing upon them and I wanted it for me. And I was jealous and I treated them poorly, not in person, but in my heart. Not even what I said about them, but in my heart. And it was sinful. And here, Pharaoh sees this group growing and growing and growing, and he is, he is sinning. Friends, if you see others succeeding, the first response should not be jealousy. We should have joys for others as they succeed. But if you are succeeding too, consider how you can bring others into that, friends. Because Israel was blessed by God. But as you are blessed, you will have the chance to do more, right? You will finances to help others. You will be able to serve others. And in verse 15, some people in power had an opportunity to do what was right, even though it wasn't safe. They had an opportunity to do what was right, even though it wasn't safe. And that's our second point here. Following God may disagree with laws. I'm going to keep, keep making you angry because here it comes. Now, I, I, what I want to say is don't take this out of context. 
you still have to follow the law of the Bible. Also, if, if you're going to come up and tell me in that email that ta- all taxes are theft, I will feel bad for you when you go to jail, and I will visit you in jail, even if I disagree with you. If you want to say that, that's fine. We can disagree. That's all right. But following God may disagree with, God, with laws. God's laws are so much more important and bigger than man's. Now, verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shifra and the second whose name was Pua, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, what's the deal? Why have you done this and let the boys live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, hey, they're too fast. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became numerous. Now, friends, Moses' parents broke the law here. Moses' parents broke the law. The the law was to surrender your son. The midwives broke the law here. The law was to take them out. And I just want, you know, sometimes I feel like we need to get into this context. If you read through this, can you imagine what it would be like? Because Pharaoh levels up after that, doesn't he? And what does he say? He says, all Egyptians, if you see a firstborn boy, if you see a boy that is a Hebrew, you can chuck him in the river. So, so here's the thing. Like, can you imagine that today? Can you imagine if that was opposed upon us? If you see this, chuck them in the river. Like, we tend to read these stories, and we tend to, like, tell these stories to our kids. Oh, they put him in a little basket so he'd be safe. And it's like children were being massacred, massacred in record numbers. Now, they were still growing, and they were still finding ways to get out of it, but this was happening. You, you cannot tell me that there were not some people who deputized themselves, put a little badge on themselves and decided they were going to go around, they were going to find every Hebrew kid they could and chuck them in the river. That we, we know humans too well, right, to know that that didn't happen. It did happen. Now, the midwives, Moses' parents broke the law. Neither of these people were influencers. They were normal people who took great risks for other people. They may or may not have been good speakers. We'll find out later that Moses is a terrible speaker and God uses him. They were not rich, and that they stood up for what was right, and they changed the trajectory of an entire people group. You don't have to be in a position of power to do the right thing. Doing the right thing is powerful enough. Even when the law is contrary to God's law, when the law is contrary to God's law, we must break it. Dale at citylifesandiego.org. Even saying this, I know some of you guys are going to take me out of context read my motives into it, but the statement remains true. The statement remains true. Even to our biggest patriots, we say God and country, not country and God. Now, Tuesday was the second time in a month that I was arguing with a slumlord. I promise you it is not fun for me. It is not fun for me. And I can tell you um, that I, it's the last thing I want to do, but a woman called me And she said that she was scared because she was being intimidated. She wanted me to be there for her. So I stopped playing with my kids where I wanted to be and went to confront a person who had now ripped off three people in our community that I knew personally, that had told me personally they had been ripped off and uh, taken advantage of by the same slumlords. 
I had no desire to be there or to stand up for them because I wanted to be with my kids and I wanted to not have any kind of like adrenal crash afterwards. Here's, here's what Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says though. And I'm not going to lie, I did put this up across the street from the slumlords in my neighborhood so they could see it. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed, speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. Now, the person said to me, you have no right to judge me. And I said, speak up and judge righteously and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. That's in the Bible. Actually, it's written right there. You want to look at it? Let's look at it together. But I can also tell you that this Tuesday, the landlord confronted me in the community on the corner of the block, calling me a fake pastor at full throat, calling me a fake pastor in the neighborhood because I stood up for someone. And I get it because everyone I talked to in the neighborhood said, this is what the code of the neighborhood is. Mind your own business. That's what the code is. Mind your business. So here I am. This is my business. This woman's brought me into it. But sometimes when you see wrong, you need to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. We have a responsibility to other people. Standing up was scary for me. And honestly, I saw like eight people I knew driving by in their cars like the whole time. And the thing that's terrible for me is I pride myself on being someone who cares for the people. But all you see in your eight cars driving by is this guy's yelling at someone. And and I'm not going to lie. Like when he starts yelling at me, my volume went up too. My volume went up too. Now, you don't know when I'm on the corner of the block reciting scripture to them because they say they're Christians and they think they can still take advantage of people. Nobody knows that when I'm yelling, I'm saying... You have to protect the poor, not oppress them. But I can tell you my reputation in the block may be different now because they saw me shouting on the corner at somebody. But is it right? Yes. Do we do what's right no matter what? Yes, because it's right. And so, so here it is. I was scared. Now, Terrence E. Freetham, he says this. He says, God is a God who takes sides. God is a God of the oppressed. God enters into their difficult suffering situation to set things right. God is a God who is concerned to move people from slavery to freedom. Now, sometimes slavery looks like people being oppressed. Sometimes we're oppressed by our own sin, but we step into either one of those things. If you have a friend who wants to put a needle in their arm, you have to stand up for them. They are being oppressed by drugs. Unless, you know, it's like because they've got diabetes, and that's okay. So friends, isn't it funny, though, that Pharaoh could get a huge army to do whatever he wants, and yet he has to talk to these supposedly unimportant midwives. Is that, is that kind of cool to you? Fact is, is we know the name of these women. We just call him Pharaoh. Like he's an afterthought. Because God's just going to use this guy. But these women who stand up for God, they get their names on it. Shifra and Pua. We know them. That sounds like Pua. Sounds so like Pacific Islander, doesn't it? But they stand up for God. And we get their names. And this Pharaoh, his name's not written in the book. His name's not written in the book. As Christians, we should be stubborn in standing up for defenseless children. We should be. Whether the and and here's the deal. For the other side, you want to get at me? Here it comes. We should stand up for children in the womb who have no one to stand up for them. This is something that we should be doing. And I know some of our friends, multiple people in this room have had abortions. And I want you to say there is no judgment here from me for you. There's only forgiveness. There's only love. There's only compassion. Because you know what? We all have struggles. But let me say this. As Christians, we are to stand up and fight for the lives of those who cannot fight for themselves. And that means children in the womb just as much. And so, you know, I'll get those letters now too. I'll take them. Let me tell you about a few more. 
Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad, she broke the law. It is said she made 19 illegal trips back to the South to free enslaved people, endangering her own life. So she got out of the South. She got out and she was safe. And as soon as she got out, her first thought was, what about them? What about them? That is courageous, friends. Now, how about this? The Boston Tea Party. Boston Tea Party broke the law. They believed it was a God-given right to have representation if you were going to be taxed. And they stood up knowing the reprisal from King George would be swift. And it was, right? It was. How about this? The Kurds who opposed Saddam Hussein, they broke the law. They broke the law. But there was a day in 2006 when Saddam had to answer for his crimes. Because God's law has a way of catching up with you. So if you want to put your law above God's law, heads up, it's coming for you. And let, let me just say this. There's no, there's no Democrat or Republican that I think is awesome here, okay? This is not me trying to, like, pick a side. Let me talk to you about this one. Mm. Have you heard of a group called No Mas Muertas? No More Deaths? This is a group that breaks the law in our country, on our border. And, and they, they break the law this way. They get arrested and they get detained to, be to do what is considered illegal in our country. And that is they go to spots where undocumented people are usually found and they leave out jugs of water. This is illegal, friends. This is illegal to leave out water for people who are thirsty. This is against our laws. And I say this, this is a human rights issue. This is, these are people made in God's image. And I don't care if you think the wall should be a thousand feet high. We leave water for people who are thirsty. It's in the Bible. And it's above any law we could make. So dale at citylifesandiego.org is my email address. But this is the way the midwives and Moses' parents operated, okay? This is the way they did. No law is above God's law. Now, Indian scholar P.G. George, he says this about the midwives. He says, their real reason for refusing to murder the babies was that they feared God more than they feared the king. And it's pretty funny because I feel like they're so disrespectful to the king, right? Like, hey, why aren't you doing this? I just, I don't know. It's just, it's too hard. I don't know. We're trying. There's no respect there. There's no respect. Now, Matthew 10, 28 says this. Listen to this, guys. This is Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both and the body in hell. Now, let me just tell you, when I was new to the Bible, I didn't know anything about the Bible. And so I would go and I would meet with my mentor and I would ask him 47 questions every week that I'd highlighted and written notes on. And I, I said, why should we fear Satan? And he's like, bro, that's not Satan. That's God. God is the one who is all powerful. God is the one who can throw us into hell. Well, that's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. It should be scary. But God can save your soul too. So don't be afraid of those people who can hurt you. Be afraid of God. Because God is the one who will look after the orphans. And if you are found to be oppressing orphans and widows, man, I would say you should fear God. And so those landlords who say to me, this is my business, I can do whatever I want to anyone I want, I don't care if it includes extortion, then I say, you better fear God and repent now. So for those of us that believe a fetus is a child, we have a responsibility to stand up for the child, to do anything to save them. To say, um, this is, to say this in our country is to invite scorn, though. You'll be mocked for it. Let me say this, our immigration policy has been whack during this administration and the Obama administration. And whatever side you are on, we have to stand up for change. 
We have to stand up for change because right now there are people who are not being treated like human beings. And I will say this once again, this has been true in the Trump administration and the Obama administration. It's not been good either way, okay? Prisons. If you have more melanin in your skin, you are in prison at a much higher rate. African Americans and Anglo people use drugs at almost the exact same rate. But the imprisonment rate for African Americans for drug charges is almost six times that of white people. I don't know what to do with that, but I'm saying it to you. The sentences for the same crime will be about 20 to 30% longer if you are black than white. And it's based on the judge's view of you. So if the judge looks at you and says, well, I've been watching NYPD Blue and the black guy is usually doing bad things, then he is going to give you a longer sentence if you're black. Friends, we have to stand up against this. It's wrong. Man, it's my most political sermon ever. I just, I'm sorry. So we are called to stand up for the defenseless. I'm not apologizing. That's right. You told me not to apologize anymore, friends. Not apologizing. It's God's word. So we are called to stand up for the defenseless. But you know what? They don't have much defense, do they? You could get in trouble. You could have a harder life for standing up for those who have no one. But friends, let me say this to you. Even if you can't help, there is a redeemer greater than us. Proverbs 23 says, not to take advantage of the fatherless because their redeemer is great. Ooh, I like that. And that's my third point, that God has the whole thing rigged. That's like a point I've used like eight times, and it's going to be like 20 more. God has the whole thing rigged. When she could no longer hide him in verse 3, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Moving down uh, to verse uh, 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go call a Hebrew woman uh, who is already nursing to nurse the boy for you? I mean, I could go do that for you. You know, it's fine. Um, go, she said. Take this child nurse him for me and I will pay your wages. So God not only saved Moses, but the family was given compensation for her taking care of her own child. You think God didn't have a plan for that? It's pretty cool how God used so many natural things here. He used a basket and some tar. He used some gentle reeds to, to stop the basket. He used these midwives. He used his mother. He used his sister. He used Pharaoh's daughter. And so women in the room, look at how many women are being used here for God's glory. Like, I mean, we don't really hear about the dudes like in the same way. In this case, God's, God uses so many women to save Moses. So many mama bears are in this story. Sometimes we call this the unseen hand of God. Imagine that. A genocidal king was bent on ethnic cleansing because, uh, because the grandfather to one of the children, so excuse me, a genocidal king who was bent on ethnic cleansing became grandfather to one of the children he was trying to kill. He didn't want them to come in power, and yet God made it to where he was going to come into his household and come into power. That's God's humor, right? Pharaoh was worried about the Hebrews taking over Egypt. Instead, he welcomed a Jew into the royal family. God has the whole thing rigged. You may feel like your life is off track. You may feel the struggle. But I tell you that God is present and he's working. And let me say this. If you think that God is dumb, made up, Christians are dumb, that he's stupid, all that stuff, he still loves you. He's still working for you because he desires you to come to a saving knowledge of him and he loves you anyway. 
So whatever you think of him, however many middle fingers you want to give him, he still loves you, still pursues you. And one day, I believe many of you will be on the other side where you're saying, oh, dang it, he's good. You may feel oppressed by illness, by your job, by situations or addictions. And I tell you to trust God in this moment because I believe he will deliver you. And I just ask you to make sure you're praying and asking him for that help. Don't expect to win the lottery if you don't ask. I'm not praying for you to win the lottery. Moses' family were Levites, the tribe of Israel that provided the priests. You better believe they were praying for their son. We have to function in a belief that God can free us from our certain, instance, our cir- certain circumstances. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's not saying that he's going to give you a mansion. It's saying that he's going to work things for your good and for his. And so I tell you, don't give up. Some of y'all are hanging on by a string, and I tell you, don't give up, because no situation is too hopeless for God. And I have no doubt that all this text was pointing to Jesus, a king who is taken down by the weak and lowly, a savior who God had planned since the beginning of time. Now, here's, here's the story in Matthew 2. Tell me if this doesn't ring a bell. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up. Take this child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod, the king, is about to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned. So here's the deal. Once again, we see a genocide coming, and we see a child spared. Now Moses was before the birth of Christ on earth, and we saw how God used him to deliver his people. Once again, all the boys of a community are threatened, and one rises above. Why? Because God had a plan. And what was God's plan since the beginning of time? Before you were born, God had a plan for your salvation. Now, when I was a kid and I saw this on TV, I thought this was the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then one day I listened with my ears for real. And I call you, if you can, just listen with your ears to what I'm about to say. There is a God who left everything for you. Jesus willingly left the comfort of heaven. He left first class to come on down to the basement because he loved you. And he lived on this earth where he dealt with disease, where he dealt with hunger, poverty, hate, gossip, and ultimately his death because he loved you. Don't look at me. Don't look at the people around you. Look at him. Look at how much he cares for you. Look at how much he's done for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loved you when he died on the cross for you. And you can tell me, hey, some of the stories are different. We could get into that later. But let me say this. What we believe as Christians is that there is a God who willingly came to this earth and died for you because he loved you. And then when he rose again on the third day, he showed that he was powerful. He showed that he conquered your sin. He showed that you, he conquered your death if you would just give him the opportunity. Friends, that is the gospel. 
That is the good news that we believe. Everything we believe hinges on this. We believe everything in this Old Testament that Jesus read and loved is pointing toward Jesus. We also believe that surrendering your life to him now as Lord does not mean you're just getting into heaven, but he can change your now. He can change the way you treat people. He can, tr- he can change your addictions. We have people in here who were addicts until they knew Jesus, and then suddenly they were free. We had people in here who were narcissists, who all they thought about was themselves, and God gave them the freedom to think about others. So there's something to say, though, but you have to, have to at some point say, God, okay. God, yes. And why do I encourage you to do this? It's because I don't know what tomorrow brings. And I don't care just about tomorrow because of heaven, but I want your day today to be better. I want you to be a better son, daughter, husband, grandmother, any of those things. If you surrender your life to Jesus, I believe from the inside out, he can change you by the power of what we call his Holy Spirit, who he is. And so I tell you today, if you have never confessed Jesus as Lord, don't wait. Make this the day today. We'll be over there on the side, and we will pray with you. If you feel like, Lord, I need to follow you, why would you wait any longer? He is real. He loves you, and tomorrow's not guaranteed. Now, I'm going to close with this. I have no doubt that God has plans for good. I have no doubt that he has this whole thing rigged for his glory. I have no doubt that God often uses the lowly, the oppressed, and the hurting to thwart the plans of the strong. Now, do you guys know what denomination we are? We are Southern Baptists. Now, I don't like go out and like show that off all the time, and there's a reason. Now, I actually do love what the Southern Baptists do. Here's why. This is what I know about the Southern Baptists. Um, One, they love the Bible. Two, um, they have a mission to love and save people, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And finally, they love starting new churches. As someone who was starting a new church, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get some of that. And now that we no longer receive support from them, I support them. We support them as a church. But I have to tell you, it wasn't always that amazing. Do you know how the Southern Baptist Church was started in 1845? It's nefarious and it's embarrassing. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Church was started so missionaries could own slaves. So they could enslave human beings and they wanted the right to do that so they started a whole denomination called the Southern Baptists. We were going to put that on our website, but I decided against it. (laughs) Let me say this, though. Now we have almost 4,000 churches with African-American pastors, leaders. We have almost 8,000 more with minority leadership. We've had a black Southern Baptist president in Fred Luter. We've had a state convention president in 13 states that are African-American, including California, where our own friend Bishop A.B. Vines uh, was the president of California Baptist. Tahadi Lewis is the vice president in charge of the SEND Network, our church planting arm of the SBC. And over half of all churches we are starting every year have minority leadership. So why am I telling you this? Because what was meant for evil, God used for good. Because he has the whole thing rigged for his glory. But I also think that not only does he have a way of like rigging it for his glory, I think he has a way of shaming those who went against his law. We still have a long way to go, but I think there's something amazing about the fact that those who started our denomination would be so sad with where we are now. (laughs) they wanted to own humans and still preach the gospel? 
Now the same color-skinned humans that they oppressed are leaders of their denomination. The same denomination that was started so they could enslave humans made in the image of God. Their power was taken from them and given to the ones they wanted to oppress. Mm. That's the way God works. He has a whole thing rigged. And as much as we want to bring in our own sinful narcissism, as much as we want to try and make everything about us, God intervenes. Friends, if you are stuck, you have a God who is for you and he wants to get you out for his glory. If people or things are hurting you, even if they originate from you, he can get you out. God desires to do something great in your life. He is ever-present, and he wants to work miracles. You just have to ask. He wants to redeem you, and he wants to talk. So friends, I ask that you would bow your heads at this moment. And I would say to you, this is not something I do every time, but I would say to you, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, what if this is the moment? Hey, some of you might think this is a bunch of bull honky or whatever you call it, but I will tell you that there may be one person in this room that feels God tugging at their heart. He tugged on my heart 17 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't know my math, and I was so against him. And one day I went from enemy to friend, not to servant in his house, but to friend, to child of God. And so friends, I say to you, all you need to do if you want to make Jesus savior of your whole life is to say one, a few things. One is I understand my sin and I confess it to you that there are places in my life that I have fallen short of your glory. Forgive me. Then after you ask this, you say, I want to make you Lord of my entire life. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again conquering my sin and death, and I want to make you Lord of my whole life. Friends, if you believe that, and you've told God that, tell someone else. And I will tell you, you're a Christian. You're a Christian if you do that. Now for the rest of us, let's just take a moment of silence to confess our sins before God. God, we thank you that no matter where we've been, what we've done, what we've seen, who we've hurt, that you willingly forgive us. That when you look upon us that have confessed you as Lord, you see the righteousness of your son, Jesus. That is such good stinking news. God, we ask that we would not take it for granted. And God, we pray that you would help us to be strong when we see someone being abused, when we see someone being oppressed or being, someone being hurt. God, thank you so much for the gift of the cross. We thank you for our forgiveness. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.